The following is a production of Phoenix Media. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look! Up in the sky! Bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, then steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. As you remember, Clark Kent and editor Perry White were the handcuffed prisoners of Duke Renard in a second-floor room of a frame house on the outskirts of Metropolis. Kent, unable to assume his true role of Superman because of Perry White's presence, tried getting a message through to his friend Dr. Roebling, inventor of the amazing voice machine, an instrument capable of picking up sound waves no matter where or when they were created. Renard and his henchman Curly, listening to Kent repeating the message over and over again, laugh uproariously. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Dr. Roebling... Dr. Roebling. Listen to this, Curly. <laughs> this is Clark Kent. Mr. White and I are being held on the second floor of a frame house at Kent Street and Marlow Avenue. You see, Curly? Notify the police at once. I don't get it, Duke. What's the gag? There ain't no gag. He really means it. What's he shooting his mouth off for? Who's he expecting to hear that stuff? He's broadcasting, Curly. Broadcasting? Don't you understand? He's making out he's a radio station and he's broadcasting a message to a pal of his. A guy named Roebling. <laughs> What's the matter with him? Nuts? Now, Curly, that ain't a nice thing to say about Mr. Kent. Did you hear what Curly said, Mr. Kent? It really doesn't matter. Of course not. If you want to be a broadcasting station, you go right ahead. <laughs> Dr. Roebling. Listen Dr. Roebling. <laughs> this is Clark Kent. Notify the police that Mr. White and myself are being held in a house at 10th Street and Marlowe Avenue by Duke Renard. Now, ain't that something, Curly? Ever hear anything like it? No, not me. Go ahead, Kent. We like it, Curly and me. Oh, I'm finished. Thank you. Oh, now, come on. Just because Curly don't believe you're a radio station, you don't mean you're going to stop. No, I think I've done enough. Dr. Roebling was listening. He'll have the police here shortly. Oh, I see. If he was listening, he'll call the cops and tell them about it. Yes, that's the general idea. <laughs> You don't have much respect for the cops in this town, do you, Kent? Respect? What do you mean? You think the Metropolis cops are dumb enough to fall for a crackpot story about some guy getting a message through the air? Well, I wouldn't worry about that if I were you, Renard. I'm sure Dr. Roebling will be capable of explaining how he received the message. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll give a hundred bucks just to hear this Roebling bozo explain how you're sitting here 
with bracelets on your wrist, spouting messages to him, and how he's hearing them 20 miles away. <laughs> yeah, that'd be something. Don't you think so, White? I'm thinking only one thing, Renard. If the sooner you are behind the bars, the better I like it. Then Kent can send me messages. <laughs> Providing I'm listening. You'll get a message, all right, from the judge. It'll say 20 years to life, or maybe even the electric chair. Now, 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 don't excite yourself, Mr. White. It isn't worth it. Sure, keep calm, you little longer. For the love of heaven, Kent, how can you sit there and tell me not to excite myself when you know what this means? It's a matter of life or death for Henry Benson. What are you talking about? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You and your hoodlums are planning to murder Henry Benson at 9 o'clock tonight when they transfer him from city jail to the state prison. You're rubbing him out to keep him quiet. Somebody's been telling you stories, Pop. Yes. But they're true stories, Renard. That's what you think. Oh, well, neither Mr. White nor I have to think. We know. You drew lots to pick a man to go into the city jail and kill Benson. Curly was elected. Now, wait a minute. Let me finish. The district attorney's office found out about that little plan and decided to transfer Benson to the state prison. Someone, probably the big guy who gives you orders, tipped you off that the transfer is being made at 9 o'clock tonight. And so Curly and Spud had to follow the car Benson will be riding in and put an end to him. Who told you all this? I got it from a very reliable source. There's only one thing missing. Why does your boss, the big guy, want to get rid of Henry Benson? You tell me. I'll tell you. Because your boss is mixed up in the million-dollar shortage the auditors found in the city treasury. And although Benson was city treasurer and responsible for the shortage, a big guy had a hand in it and he's afraid Benson might break down and talk. Like I said before, you've been going to too many movies. Well, we didn't get all this information from movies, Renard. Every bit of it is true, and you know it. Don't either of you move if you want to live. Hello? The same price symbols was yesterday. Okay, boss. What? No kidding. How'd it happen? As the phone rings and Duke Renard lifts the receiver from the hook, Clark Kent leans forward in his chair and making use of Superman's acute hearing, manages to pick up a woman's voice coming over the wire. What's the difference how it happened? Stop asking silly questions and listen to me. Okay. Two squad cars left here about three minutes ago. Warren followed them with some detectives. We better scram in a hurry. What about these two guys? What two guys? Kent and White from the newspaper. They know plenty. What can they know? Everything. The whole setup. Then get rid of them. We can't afford to take any chances now. You mean... You know what I mean. Get rid of them. Okay. Now listen. Call me as soon as you locate somewhere. Right. Curly. Yeah, boss? Someone tipped the cops. They're on the way here. Uh, what did I tell you? Don't worry, Pop. It won't do you no good. Curly, tell Spud to start the car and get me a couple of hunks of rope. Okay. So, the police have finally caught up with you, Renard. Not yet, buddy. It's a long way from headquarters out here. We still got time. Your goose is cooked, Bernard. Not mine, Pop. Yours. Here's the rope, Duke. Good. Tie up the old guy. I'll take care of Kent. You keep your hands off me. Pipe down, Grandpa. I'll slug you. Now have to go to all this Jamie. trouble, Renard. We can't follow you, not with these handcuffs on. I just want to make sure you don't bust loose when things start to get a little hot. There we are. That'll hold you. Hold on, Curly. Yep. Okay, let's go. Why, that low-down snake in the grass. I'd just like to get my hands on him once, that's all. Now, now, don't exert yourself, Mr. White. You can't loosen that rope. Oh, now, who do you suppose called him to tell him the police were on the way? It was a woman, Mr. White. Huh? Uh, what? Well, how do you know? I heard her voice over the wire. 
She told him exactly how many cars were coming, three in all. Two squad cars and one with a district attorney and some detectives. You mean to say you heard all that? Oh, yes. She uh, had rather a loud voice. Well, I didn't hear a thing. Yes, I am getting old. But anyway, what good does it do us? Bernard and his pack of vermin are gone. We'll catch up with them. The important thing is that they won't dare try to get Benson tonight. At least we accomplished... What's the matter? I smell smoke. Yeah, so do I. Well, look. Huh. Look, Kent, it's coming up through the cracks in the floor. That... Well, what is it? <coughs> now I know what Renard meant when he said he wanted to make sure we didn't bust loose when things started to get a little hot. The house is on fire. Oh, no, no, it can't be. That's what it is. The floor is getting warm. We can't. What will we do? Now, try to loosen this rope. We can burn the life. No, we won't. Now, just keep your head to the point. There. Renard needs a lesson in rope tying. Now I can free you even with these handcuffs on. Wait a minute. Listen. Flames crackling. We've got to hurry. Hold still. You'll never get out, Kent. We're doomed. Oh, be silly. There. You're free. There you are. Yeah, now what? Wait, I'll, I'll try this door. No. Locked. Ken, our only chance is out the window. The place is an inferno. I can feel the heat coming up through the floor. I think I can force this door. Stand back, will you? Once more, I'll do it. There we are. No, Ken. Look. The hall is blazing. It is hot. Oh, the flame is being stuck into the room now. Jump, Ken. Out the window. Wait a minute, Mr. White. Wait, you can't do that. There's a stone pavement below. You may crack your skull. Yeah, I'm being burned alive. Let go, my eye. I won't let you jump. Let go, I say. Please, Mr. White. Let go. Let go. Oh, I can do this, but it's the only way. There. Now we can go out the window, Mr. White. You and Superman. Oh, here come the squad cars. I don't want them to spot me because there's work to do tonight. Up with the window. Out. And up. Up. And away. Go down, Spud. Pull up at that gas station and fill the tank. I gotta make a call. Okay, Keep an eye out for cops, Curly. I'll be right back. Don't worry. Where's the phone booth, Bud? Uh, right inside, Mister. You want some gas? Yeah, fill her up. The boys in the car will pay you. Okay. For fish today. Same place we got the symbols yesterday. Where are you, Duke? About ten miles out of Metropolis. I'm calling from a gas station. What happened? Everything's okay. Are you sure? Positive. Good. Now listen to me. It's seven twenty now. Benson is leaving the city jail at eight instead of nine. I'll come. Never mind. There'll be two deputies in the car, one at the wheel and one sitting with Benson. Okay. Where are you going to head the car off? Near the Red River Bridge. All right. But remember, this time it's got to be right. Don't worry, it will. Call me at the other number as soon as you're through. Right. So long. So long. Okay, girlie? Yeah. Let's go, then. Where to, Duke? The Conway turned back just before the Red River Bridge and make it fast. Now, what's the hurry? Benson ain't leaving the jail till nine. He's leaving at eight. We got 30 minutes to get there. Are you coming along, Duke? Yeah. I got to be sure this job is done right. Step on it, Spud.
30 minutes to get to the Conway Turnpike on an errand of death. Whoever is out to get Henry Benson is desperate now. This is the last chance to silence the ex-city treasurer and keep him from talking. Will Kent, even as Superman, be able to save Benson from the horrible fate in store for him? As far as he knows, the car carrying Benson is leaving the city jail at nine. Something exciting is bound to happen, so tune in to the next episode. Follow the thrilling story with Superman. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Ooh, yeah, we do something right here, uh huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot on surprises and delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude, Calabunga, to the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F E N I X media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! No, up in the sky! It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. When Duke Renard, warned by a mysterious woman that the police and district attorney were closing in on his hideout, bound Clark Kent and editor Perry White to their chairs and set the frame building on fire, he was certain it was the end of them. But Kent, as Superman, rescued editor White from the blazing inferno a moment before the police arrived, although he was forced to knock him out in order to assume his real identity. Meanwhile, Renard and his two henchmen, Curly and Spud, got away in a high-powered car and are on their way to the Conway Turnpike a deserted stretch of road where they plan to intercept the car carrying Henry Benson and his guards. Kent and Perry White are back in the latter's office at the Daily Planet. White is nursing a badly swollen jaw and complaining bitterly about it. Listen. You still don't see what right you had to fall off and sock me. Well, I can't even talk. Sorry, Mr. White, but it was the only way. You wanted to jump out the window. Certainly a slightly painful jaw is better than a couple of broken legs. I mm, wonder... What'd you hit me with, a sledgehammer? No, just my fist. It's for your own good. Next time, try not to be so good to me. Oh. If you just keep that ice bag on the swelling, I'm sure it'll go down. I don't know why I haven't sent you packing. 
Incidentally, uh, how did we get out of that burning building? Why, uh, uh, through the hall. Through the hall? Yes. You're crazy. It's like the inside of a furnace. Oh, well, I, uh, I managed to find an opening where there wasn't any flame. What happened to the police? Did they ever get there? Oh, yes, yes, just as we left. Uh, did Warren, the district attorney, see you? No, I slipped around the back of the house, hailed a taxi cab, and brought you to the office. No, no, Kent. Sometimes I can't figure you out. The stories you tell are a little fantastic. Well, now, there's certainly nothing fantastic about hailing a cab, is there? No, but I saw that hallway. It was blazing. And yet, you carried me through it, down the steps, around to the back of the house, and hailed a cab. All without even scorching a shoe. Uh, well, what's the difference? We've certainly made a mess of things. Instead of rounding up Duke Bernard and his gang of cutthroats, we came close to losing our lives. Oh, we'll round them up yet. Benson is being transferred from the city jail at 9 o'clock. Bernard's men are going to intercept the car on the Conway Turnpike. I'll be there to see that they don't. Oh, don't be a stupid fool. That's a job for the police. I'm not going to be responsible for anything happening to you. Now, look, we've gone through all that, Mr. White. Nothing's going to happen to me. I've got it all figured out. What do you mean? There'll be two jail guards in the car with Benson. One at the wheel and one in the back seat. I'm going to be the third. The third what? The third guard. Only one difficulty. I, I need a uniform. Are you mad, Kent? What is all this nonsense? It isn't nonsense, Mr. White. If I can get a prison guard's uniform, I'll make the trip in Benson's car. Naturally, knowing that Duke Renard's men are lying in wait for us, I'll be in a position to handle them. Why can't the police do it? You're a newspaper reporter, not a cop. At least, I'm paying you to be a reporter. Oh, you get your money's worth in an exclusive story, an eyewitness account of an attempt made on Henry Benson's life. Sure, sure. Unless you stop a bullet. Well, if I stop a bullet, it'll stay stopped. Uh, uh, what? Uh, well, I... Uh, I mean, I, I won't get in the way of any bullets. Uh, that's a bright remark. I suppose if one of those mugs fires point blank at you, you'll just catch the bullet and flip it back at him, huh? Uh, I'm afraid only Superman can do that, Mr. White. Ah, Superman. You're beginning to sound like that copy boy, Jimmy Olsen. Uh, well, that's not getting us anywhere. The point is simply this, Mr. White. Someone is trying to silence Henry Benson for fear he'll spill the beans about that million-dollar shortage. Yeah, that much I know. All right. Now, I told you earlier this evening that I suspected District Attorney Warren. Yes, and I told you you were crazy. Warren prepared the case against Benson, and Warren hooked Duke Renard with an $85,000 fine and some crooked building deal. You may be right. Probably Warren himself isn't involved, but someone on the inside is. Otherwise, Renard wouldn't be tipped off to confidential information the way he is. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I seem to remember you are telling me that a woman called Renard and warned him that the police were closing in. That's right. Well, how does a woman get mixed up in this? I don't know. Whoever she is, she certainly has some way of knowing what's going on. That's why it might be dangerous to tell the police about this nine o'clock affair. See, it may get back to Renard that the police are wise, and, well, then where are we? Well, you may have something there. What do you propose to do again? Get hold of a prison guard's uniform, present myself as representing the state prison, and go along in the car with Benson and the two guards. And where do you think you can find a uniform at this hour? Yeah, that's the problem. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I've got a friend in the theatrical costuming business. He carries all kinds of uniforms. Oh, they're leaving the city jail with Benson at nine, is that right? Yes, we've got just about an hour. It's ten of eight now. Okay, I'll call it. Oh, the uh, switchboard is closed, Mr. White. You'll have to dial the number. Yeah, well, I remember it. Now, let's see. Uh, Metropolis 4873, I think that's it. M E 4 8 
As Editor White attempts to contact his friend in the theatrical costume business, unaware that the hour of Henry Benson's departure from the city jail has been changed from nine to eight, the car carrying Duke Renard and his two henchmen, Curly and Spud, turns off the Conway Turnpike and comes to a stop on a well-hidden wagon road. Okay, this is fine. Shut off the motor. What time is it, Duke? Just eight. Well, that means we got a good 40 minutes. It'll take him that long to get here. And on the radio, get some music. You mind if I cop a little snooze, Duke? No, go ahead, Spud. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jack Ryan bringing you the latest up-to-the-minute news. You want to hear the news, Duke? Yeah, give it on. Metropolis. Local police and fire officials are trying to explain the cause of the mysterious blaze that leveled a two-story frame house at 10th Street and Marlowe Avenue early this evening. Hey, listen to that. Shut up. Police have been tipped off that the house was being occupied by Duke Renard, wanted for questioning in the Benson case. However, upon arrival, they found it in flames. Residents of the neighborhood reported to the police that they had seen a black sedan parked outside the house for more than an hour before the fire started. Police are in possession of the license number, but have not yet revealed the car's ownership. District Attorney Warren, in a statement issued at the scene of the fire, said he would order an investigation. Hey, they got our license number, Duke. What do we do? Turn that off. Did you hear what he said? I heard it. I mean about the license number. That's not what bothers me. He didn't say anything about Ken and White. No, nothing at all. They couldn't have gotten loose. Well, no, not a chance. But if they did, there'll be trouble. What do you mean? Kent knows we got Benson on the spot. If he tips the cops, we won't have a chance. There'll be a million of them following that car. Well, what do we do? Now, wait a minute. I gotta think. I don't like mixing with cops. Not out here. You won't have to mix with them. That bridge up ahead is a draw, isn't it? It's a what? A drawbridge. It opens up to let boats through. Yeah, I think so. Well, if it is, I got the answer. We can get Benson without even pulling a gun. How? I'll show you. Wake up, Spud. What's the matter? Drive the car across the bridge. Park off the road on the other side. Okay. What do you got up your sleeve, Duke? You'll see. Take it easy, Spud. Keep your lights down. Right. Yeah, it's a drawbridge, all right. The kind that opens sideways. Ah, that suits me swell. I don't get it, Duke. Hold your horses. Okay, Spud, this is far enough. Pull off the road. Kill the motor. Turn the lights out. You stick with the car, Spud. Curly's coming with me. What's the setup? I'm going to tell you. The car carrying Benson has got to cross this bridge to get to the state prison, see? Yeah. Well, instead of taking any chances on shooting it out with cops, we're going to drop that car into the river. Drop the car into the river? How? See that little house back on the bridge on the right-hand side? Yeah, I see it. That's the bridge keeper's house. He's the guy who opens and shuts the drawer when a boat goes through. Sometimes there's two guys, but it don't matter. No, I still don't get it, Duke. Ah, you got a head like a tack. We're going to take over the bridge, and when the car with Benson in it comes rolling along, we'll open the bridge up, and the car will drop into the river. <laughs> hey, you sure are smart, Duke. Yeah, and how? If we handle it right, it won't matter how many cops are following that car. They won't even be able to cross the bridge, because it'll be open, and we can make an easy getaway. Oh, that can't miss. Uh, there's only one thing. What? How we know which is Benson's car? Two ways. Number one, it'll be a sheriff's car with a red light on it. Number two, we can figure the time. It left the jail at 8. That means it'll hit this bridge at about 8.40. Come on, we've got to work fast. Follow me, Curly. Keep your gun handy. Right. I only see one guy in the house, Duke. He's an old pizza. Yeah. I guess he's alone. 
Well, that makes it easy. Wait a minute. Yeah. We're not going to mess around with the guy in the house. What do you mean? We can't take any chances. He's liable to knock over a telephone or maybe press a button that'll jam the whole works. So what do we do? Slug him fast. I'll go in first and you sneak in behind me. Just tap him with the butt of your gun. Not too hard, but enough to put him to sleep. Okay. Come on. All right, here's the door. Hmm. You're reading the magazine. This will be a cinch. You ready? Yeah. Let's go. Good evening. Let him have it, Curly. Oh, he's out cold. Good. Ah, let's see how these levers work. This one's marked open, full speed. Yeah, I guess that means the draw. Well, here goes. Well, it doesn't look very hopeful with Duke Renaud in control of the drawbridge and Clark Kent still under the impression that Henry Benson is to leave the city jail at 9 o'clock. Unless a miracle happens, a miracle that only Superman can create, Henry Benson is doomed. What will the outcome be, and who is the mysterious unknown power behind Renaud? Listen to the smashing climax of this story in the next episode of Superman. Don't forget... Tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird, it's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from the planet Krypton who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. When we last saw Clark Kent, he and editor Perry White were in the latter's office at the Daily Planet trying to contact the theatrical costumer, in order to hire a prison guard's uniform. Knowing that Henry Benson, ex-city treasurer, being held for a million-dollar shortage, is to be transferred from the city jail to the state prison, and knowing also that Duke Renard and his gang have orders to waylay Benson and get rid of him to keep him from talking, Kent is planning to present himself at the jail as a state prison guard and ride in the car carrying Benson. But what Kent doesn't know is that the hour of Benson's departure has been changed from 9 to 8. It is now 8.30. And while Kent, in his hired guard's uniform, is on his way to the jail, Renard and his henchman Curly have taken over the drawbridge spanning the Red River, a bridge over which the sheriff's car carrying Henry Benson must pass. Renard plans to open the drawer as the car approaches and send it hurtling down into the deep tidewater below. Listen. All right, Curly. Let's test these levers just to make sure we know how to run it. This one says, open full speed. You watch the bridge through the window. Okay. All set? Yeah, let it ride. 
Hey, she's open like a pair of scissors. Let me look. Yeah, that does it. I guess you'll stop when you push the lever back. Open up as wide as she'll go, Duke. Uh, that's far enough. We don't want to jam anything. As she stops, but boy, there's a whole day you could drop five trucks through. Hey, wait a minute. What's the matter? You got big red lights blinking on both sides of the bridge? Yeah, they must go on automatically when the drawer's open. Then we better put them out. Whoever's driving that sheriff's car will stop on a dime when he sees them red lights. Yeah, you're right. I'll close the drawer and you go out and put a couple of slugs in the light. This must be the lever. It says close, full speed. Well, here goes. That's the ticket. She's closing. Okay, turn her off. Take care of those lights. You better tell Spud out in the car or he'll think the shooting means something. Okay. Hey, wait a minute. You better take this old guy out to the car. He's liable to come to and set up an awful howl. And anyway, it won't look good for the bridge keeper to be laying here out cold in case a car stops to ask directions or something. Yeah, you're right. Tell Spud there's some rope in the trunk. You can tie the guy up, gag him, and toss him in the back seat. Get him under the arms and drag him. He ain't heavy. Okay. I got him. Don't waste any time. Get back here fast. Right. Now, let's see if I got these levers right. This one with the red handle opens the drawer, and this one with the green handle closes it. Red opens, green closes. That ought to be easy enough. Uh, what time is it? 8.30. Ten more minutes, and the sheriff's car should come rolling along. There goes one red light. I sure hope there's some cops following Benson's car. Won't that big mouth pop open when they see they can't get over the bridge? <laughs> I'd like to stick around just to watch him. Light number two. Now we're all set. Okay? Yeah, dead eye dick, that's me. Two shots, two lights. I heard it. Bud taking care of the old guy? Yeah, he's keeping the car motor running for a quick getaway. <laughs> that's all right, but we won't need no quick getaway. The bridge will be wide open. If there's any cops, they'll need wings to get across. Oh, hey, it's a hot one. Cops with wings. <laughs> all right, come on. We only got ten minutes. I want to test the levers again. Stand by the window. Okay. Let her ride. There she goes. While Duke Renard tests the drawbridge for the last time, preparing to work the diabolical plan that will mean death by drowning for whoever is riding in the sheriff's car, Clark Kent, disguised in a prison guard's uniform, is ushered into the warden's office at the city jail. This way. Thank you. Yes? What can I do for you? My name is Edwards, Warden. I was sent down from the state prison to escort that transfer, Benson. What? Oh, yes, sir. He's scheduled to leave at nine. Who sent you down? Why, uh, the head guard, uh, Mr. McGuire. Well, you can go back, Edwards, and tell your head guard to check next time before sending a man 50 miles on a wild goose chase. Wild goose chase? Isn't Benson being transferred? Sure, sure he's being transferred, but he left at eight o'clock, almost 40 minutes ago. But he was supposed to leave at nine. I know, but the DA's office called and switched it to eight. Sorry you had to make the trip for nothing. Oh, that's that's all right. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, if he left 40 minutes ago, I'm too late. Someone crossed me up. Someone in the district attorney's office. Now, this must be the door to the street. Now, if I can find an alley to get rid of this uniform. Ah, here's one. It's dark enough. There, does it? Now, off with Kent's clothes. 
I'll have to move fast to make it in time. Even at Superman. Now, up, up, and away! Red Cloak streaming in the wind, the Man of Steel streaks into the darkness with the speed of light, battling against time and the black shadow of impending death. Following the Conway Turnpike, his sharp eyes scan the white ribbon of road, searching for the telltale red light that marks the sheriff's car. Suddenly, he spots it far ahead, swoops down in a breathtaking dive. That's the car, right below me. I don't know how I made it, but I did. No time to stop them now. The bridge must be up ahead a mile or so. I just drop down gently on the top of the car and ride along with them. It's dark enough so I won't be seen. Down! Down! There. I don't think they heard that. Not with the motor racing the way it is. This isn't too bad after all. Now let's see how far Renard and his gunman will get. Meanwhile, back at the bridge house, Duke Renard stands at the bank of levers controlling the draw while Curly peers out the window. Well, what's doing? I don't know yet. I've seen some headlights. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, there's a car coming. Sheriff's car? I can't tell yet. It's about a mile up the road, but coming fast. Look for the red light sticking up out of the top, above the windshield. I don't see no red light. Yeah, I see it now. That's the sheriff's buggy. Okay, we'll open the bridge. She's open swell, Duke. Okay, keep your eye on it. Where's the car? About half a mile away. Sure, it's got a red light. Yeah, you can't miss it now. How's the bridge? I think it's open far enough. Yeah, plenty. Shut it off. Come on over and watch. This is going to be something. See the car coming? Yeah, I see it. <laughs> Ain't they going to be surprised they don't find nothing but air under them? I only see one car. No cops following them. Well, that makes it easier. Here she comes. Wait till you hear them brakes squeal at the last second when it's too late. Yeah, that'll be something. It won't be long now. He's traveling fast. Another couple of seconds. You can't tell the drawers open. This is it. He's falling. Right into the drink. Hey, Duke, look. He ain't falling no more. The car's flying across the other side. You're crazy. No, I ain't. Look. What? Hey, we're seeing things. Hey, there's a car on the road again, heading for the state prison. Something's wrong. The bridge didn't open. we got to follow him. Come on. The bridge open, gentlemen. Huh? And you're not following anyone. Who are you? I watch over drawbridges that rats like you open. Give it to him, Curly. Now, you better will. I'll take that gun. No. You're breaking my arm. Drop the gun. No. That's it. Keep away from that gun, Renard. I said keep away from it. All right, maybe you'll obey this order. Now, you're next, Curly. Oh, I ain't done nothing. Honest, I ain't. It was him figured this out. Who's behind all this, Curly? Who's the big guy? I don't know. I swear I don't. He never told us. You're lying. Ask uh, Duke. Go ahead. Ask him. He's coming, too. Uh, all right. Get up on your feet, Renard. Up. Uh, what hit me? I did. It was only a sample. Now, who's your boss, Renard? Who's the big guy? You'll never get me to talk. Never. That's what you think. Close the drawbridge, Curly. Okay. Where's the gatekeeper? I don't know. Where is he, Curly? Talk fast. It's tied up in the car on the other side of the bridge. All right, turn that motor off. We'll get the keeper after we take you two specimens up for a little ride. I think that may loosen your tongue. I ain't done nothing. Come on, we'll find out what you've done. Here we go. Yes, this is the district attorney's office. Who? Oh, just a minute. Probably Mr. White. Yes, he wants to know what about the story. Oh, tell him I'll be in within the hour. Mm -hmm. He'll be at the planet office within the hour, Mr. White. <laughs> okay. He says if you're not, you're fired. 
for the 50th time. Kent, I still can't believe you've solved this thing. You know, it doesn't make sense. Why should they... Oh, hello, Miss Carroll. Good evening, Miss Warren. I'm sorry I had to drag you down at this hour of the night, but... Uh, as I told you over the phone, we had some trouble on that Benson transfer, and I, uh, I need some records. It's quite all right, Mr. Warren. You know, Mr. Kent. Of course. Good evening. Good evening. What records do you wish, Mr. Warren? Well, we'd like to know what you're getting for fish today, Carol. <gasps> ah, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Oh, no, I mean, I mean, no, I don't understand that... There's no use lying, Miss Carol. Duke Renard confessed. Oh. We know the whole story. All right. Then you know it. There's just one thing we don't know. Why did you influence Henry Benson to steal public money? Because I wanted nice things. Because I wanted to live like a decent human being. And you needed almost a million dollars to do that. What happened to that money? I don't know. Renard got most of it. The rest we spent. I have some bond, some cash... Oh, what's the difference? <laughs> and so, once again, Clark Kent in the role of Superman solves another mystery and brings the enemies of truth and justice to the punishment they so richly deserve. But even as he returns to the Daily Planet office to write the story of the Benson case, another adventure is brewing. So don't forget to tune in the next episode and begin another exciting adventure with Superman. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. <laughs> It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature... Superman! Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings of a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, Mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. It begins today in the editorial room of the Daily Planet. Clark Kent is putting the finishing touches on a last-minute news release when Lois Lane saunters up to his desk. How do you spell industrious? Huh? Industrious? I am the... Oh, I get it. All right, no, I'm not industrious. I'm just knocking this thing out so I can get over to the football game. Incidentally, how about joining me? Are you kidding? No, not at all. When I go to a game, Mr. Kent, I like to be escorted by someone who knows football. I don't want to spend the afternoon explaining it to you. Oh, I think I know enough to get by. At least the sports editor believes I do. He just asked me to cover the game. You... you cover a football game? Sure. I bet you don't even know the difference between a T formation and a double wing bag. Well, now, maybe I'll surprise you. Come along and see. Now, don't tell me you once played football yourself. Well, no, but, well, I... Uh... I didn't think so. It's a little too rough, isn't it? Now, look, do you want to go to the game or don't you? Which game is it? Metropolis University against State College. Metropolis won't have any trouble winning. 
They're all set for an undefeated season, but it should be a good game to watch anyway. Just to see the terrific Metropolis backfield roll up a big score. Are you trying to tell me State's a pushover? Well, of course. Everyone knows State hasn't a chance. Oh, is that so? Sure. Well, when I went to State College, our team was famous for scoring upsets, and oh. I have a hunch they'll do it today. Well, maybe. But make up your mind. I don't want to be late. Are you coming? Okay. I'll come. But wait just a second. I want to get something out of my desk. Here. This is for you. Huh? What is it? A brand new football rule book. You'll need it. Remember, I'm not going to tell you what the game's all about. This is the upset I told you about. It's no upset yet, Lois. Metropolis is still two touchdowns ahead. Yeah, but they did all their scoring in the first three quarters. And now State's really going to town. We've got Metropolis on the run. Well, it won't do State much good. Only five minutes left to play. There goes Parker. Right through the middle of the line again. He's in the clear. He's going over. He is over. It's a touchdown. Here comes the try for the extra point. They made it! 20 to 14! One more touchdown and State has this game sewed up! I don't quite understand it, Lois. Funny. What's funny? Well, the Metropolis team seems to be going to pieces. <laughs> and how? State's just too good for them. Oh, no, it isn't that. All four backfield men could have stopped that last line plunge easily. Why, they tackle as if they weren't half trying. Here comes the kickoff. Come on, State! Well, Metropolis is receiving. State won't have enough time to get the ball again and score. There's the kick! Oh, the Metropolis fullback dropped the ball. Fall on it! Fall on it! Oh, what's the matter with it? Why doesn't someone try to get that ball? Get it! State recovered! State recovered! It's State's ball on the 20-yard line. Here we go! Something's wrong. What's happened to Metropolis? Here's the play. Right through tackle. Look at him bowl those Metropolis men over. He's not bowling them over. They're just not putting up any opposition. Look at Harris, the captain. He's staggering. He's down. Can't take it, that's all. They hit too hard. Oh, there wasn't a man near him on that play. Look, they're carrying him off the field. Uh-oh. Spike Taylor, the Metropolis coach, just left the bench. Something's wrong. There's a whistle, Clark. Sit down. Oh, sir, I'm going down to the dressing room. I'll see you back at the office. Wait a minute. Come back. Clark! This must be the dressing room door. Well, there's Taylor pacing up and down. I was right. Something is up. Hello, Coach. Oh, hello, Ken. What's the trouble, Coach? What do you mean? Now, you know what I mean. What happened to Bob Harris? Why, nothing, nothing. Wait a minute. Look. I'm a newspaper reporter, but I've known you a long time. Harris collapsed on the field without being touched. I... Someone clipped him during a play. You mean State's playing dirty football? No, no, of course not. Now, now don't go saying anything like that in the planet. It's not true. Well, then what is the truth? You've got a team out there on the field that's going to pieces. It's cracking up. Well, they tackle like a bunch of high school freshmen. They, they fumble, they fail to recover, they mess up plays. What's happening? 
I wish I knew. Well, there is something wrong, huh? Yes, Kent, there's something wrong. Something seriously wrong. You don't know what it is? I haven't the faintest idea. Those boys of mine went out there in the pink of condition. They were they were keyed up to a beautiful pitch, ready to rip through state like a tornado. Well, they did for the first three quarters. Yes, I know. And something went wrong. They all seemed listless. Harris never fumbled a kick off in all the four years he's been on the team. The day the ball slipped through his hand as though his fingers were greased. And a few seconds later, he collapsed. Where is he now? In the infirmary. Dr. Stone of the medical school is examining him. What's that? Either state sport again or... Well, you squeeze that one out, Coach. Yes, but it's small comfort. Uh, come into my office, can't I? I don't want the boys to see me when they troop in. Sit down. Thanks. I should have known you'd be the first person to suspect something. Well, I couldn't very well help it. After all, 11 men don't all fold up the way that bunch did. 11? You mean 30? Every substitute on the squad seemed to be washed out. I, I couldn't believe my eyes. Have they been breaking training? Not a chance. Could it be some sort of an epidemic? Maybe the flu? Or... I don't think so. I will know better once Dr. Stone gets through examining Bob Harris. But it couldn't be anything like that. Why, during scrimmage this morning, I had all I could do to hold them back. Why, I felt sorry for the state line. Never in all my 20 years of coaching have I seen a team so primed for a game. And then, then to have them fold like a house of cards. Come in. Oh, it's you, Dr. Stone. Come in. This is Clark Kent of the Daily Planet newspaper. Dr. Elihu Stone, assistant to the dean of the medical school. How do you do, doctor? How do you do, Mr. Kent? Well, Dr. Stone? Uh, I can find nothing wrong with the young man, Mr. Taylor. He seems to be in perfect health. But but how do you account for his sudden collapse? Mm, probably nervous exhaustion. Well, it doesn't sound likely. Not with Bob Harris. He played 60 minutes at a time without drawing a hard breath. Well, I examined him as completely as I could under the circumstances. In fact, I took the precaution of securing a sample of his blood for microscopic examination. I have it right here in a vial. And you say he's in perfect health? Nothing wrong? Absolutely nothing. Heart action strong and regular. Pulse good, respiration perfect. Marvelous specimen of manhood. Well, maybe I'm crazy. Why do you say that? Because Harris wasn't the only one affected. Every man on the team seemed to droop. Uh, if you'll pardon me, Doctor, I, uh, I was wondering whether it might be some sort of food poisoning. Well, I found no indication of that in my examination of Mr. Harris. Well, uh, I must go up to the laboratory now and examine this blood specimen. Is there anything else I can do for you, Mr. Taylor? Please don't hesitate to call on me. Well, I was delighted to have met you, Miss Kent. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, uh, Dr. Stone. Yes? Uh, what sort of care should Harris get? Oh, he's quite all right now. He's up on his feet. He's taking a shower, I believe. He is? Oh, yes. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, thanks a lot, Doctor. Yes, you're, you're quite welcome. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye, sir. Well, that's a relief. Relief? And how? I was imagining all sorts of things. Well, it's good to know there's nothing wrong. I wonder. What do you mean? I'd suggest that you talk with Bob Harris. Ask him what happened before he collapsed. Now, look, and don't get me biting my nails all over again. Stone said there was nothing wrong with Harris, and that's enough for me. Well, now, just think about it a minute. Harris wasn't the only one affected. He happened to keel over, but every man on the team seemed to be hit by this... This strange malady. Oh, Walt, take it easy. What, what do you mean, strange malady? Don't make it worse than it is. I'm not trying to make it anything. Well, let's drop it then. Well, I don't think it should be dropped. Now, look, Ken, I'm running this team. I know, Coach, but you have to... Yes? Bob Harris, Coach. Not here for a minute? Here's your chance. Yes. Come in. Oh, I'm sorry to bust in this. That's way, all right. But... That's all right. Close the door. 
You know Clark Kent of the Daily Planet? Sure. Hello, Bob. Oh, hello, Mr. Kent. How do you feel, Harris? Well, pretty good now. I wanted to tell you, I didn't mean to poop out. Something hit me. Like a ton of bricks. Well, how did it happen? Gosh, I don't know. At the beginning of the fourth quarter, my legs got heavy. And then my head began to swing. Next thing I knew, there was a play through left guard, and I, I couldn't get to it. It just dropped. Well, don't worry about it. We won the game. That's what caught. Yeah, I know, Coach, but I was talking to the rest of the boys. Hit them, too. And they're, they're worried. Some of them are even scared. What? Sure. Bud Regan's nervous as a cat. Tiny Warren's all set to hand in his suit. He says he's through. Now, wait a minute, Harris. Wait a minute. This can't go on. You go back and tell the boys there'll be a meeting in the gymnasium in an hour. I want every one of them present. Okay. Glad to see you, Mr. Kent. Right on, Bob. Well, I guess you were right. Something's got to be done about it fast. Too much depends on the Metropolis team going through the season undefeated. Entirely too much. What are you driving at? Kent, we're not just playing football to win this year. We're not playing to put half the squad on the All-American or get a bid to the Rose Bowl. We're playing for the lives of thousands of kids. We're fighting against death, and we've got to win. We've got to win. What does Coach Taylor mean? How is the Metropolis team playing for the lives of thousands of children? Is there something behind the sudden collapse of one of the best football squads in the country? It looks like mystery and adventure ahead in this thrilling football story, so follow each episode with Superman. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash Silver Age Heroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. 
Superman who can leap tall buildings of a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, then steal in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. Assigned to cover the Metropolis University State College football game, Clark Kent ran into a puzzling mystery. For some unknown reason, the Metropolis team, leading by two touchdowns, went to pieces in the last quarter. When Bob Harris, captain and fullback of the team, collapsed on the field, Kent hurried to the dressing room to question the coach, Spike Taylor. At first, Taylor denied anything was wrong, but finally admitted that every man on the team seemed groggy during the last ten minutes of play. However, a thorough examination of Harris, the captain, revealed nothing in the way of injury or illness, and Coach Taylor was inclined to dismiss the incident when he learned that two of his first-string players were talking of quitting the team. As our story continues today, Kent and Taylor are alone in the latter's dressing room office. Listen. You don't understand, Kent. The Metropolis team isn't just playing to win this year. It's playing for stakes that may mean life or death for thousands of helpless kids. Frankly, I don't understand, Coach. By some miracle, we pulled the game with State out of the fire today. That leaves us only one more opponent. Southwest College. The toughest, smartest team in the country. You play them next Saturday. That's right. And if we knock them over, we'll be invited to play in the Rose Bowl. Oh, I still don't follow you, Coach. You say you're not playing to win, and yet all you're worried about is winning to get into the Rose Bowl. I mean, it's not the boys on the team, or myself, or even the university. It's those thousands of kids. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who are the thousands of kids you're talking about, and what's this business about life or death? I can't explain it to you properly, Kent, so there's no sense trying. Come on, I'm going up to the laboratory to see Professor Nelson. Uh, He's head of the medical school. You tell you what I mean. Uh, wait. There's one promise I want, Kent. What is it? You've got to promise you won't print this story until after the Southwest game next Saturday. That's a strange request. I know, but it's important that nothing leaks out. For the team's morale and, and for other reasons. Okay, I promise. I know you will. Let's go. This is the new medical college. It was just completed early this year. One of the finest in the country. Uh, here's the research laboratory. I hope Professor Nelson's in. Gosh, did you say laboratory? This place smells and looks like a zoo. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh, there's Professor Nelson, a tall man with a white goatee. Uh, Professor. Oh, hello, Mr. Taylor. Professor Nelson, this is Clark Kent of the Daily Planet. How do you do, Mr. Kent? How do you do, Professor? I'm very happy to meet you. Be quiet, you little devil. This last patch of monks chattered like magpies. I was wondering what you did with cages full of monkeys, Professor. Uh, they're rhesus monkeys, Mr. Kent, and we use them for experimental purposes. Oh. One of these days, a little white-faced rhesus monkey is going to be responsible for ridding humanity of its most horrible children's disease. You mean infantile paralysis? Yes, infantile paralysis. Now you see what I meant when I said thousands of lives depend on the team. When I called it a matter of life or death. I'm beginning to, but it's still not entirely clear. It will be when Professor Nelson finishes. Uh, I'm sorry I interrupted. It's quite all right. You see, Mr. Kent... Monkeys are a lot like human beings. They have similar nervous systems and suffer a great many of the ailments we suffer. They can contract infantile paralysis. Uh That's why we use them for experimental purposes. In the hope that by studying their reaction to paralysis, we can be the means of saving human life and limb. 
But what has all this to do with the Metropolis football team, Coach? Professor Nelson will tell you. He's glad. It takes a great deal of money to maintain a scientific laboratory such as this is, Mr. Chang. Yes? Right now, we need more microscopes, more centrifuges, more equipment of every kind. We could use a larger staff of research workers. Oh, yes. And uh, more monkeys. They cost money, too. Well, I still don't see the connection between all this and the football team. It seems a little far-fetched. Not at all, Ken. Wait. I was just about to explain the connection, Mr. Ken. Last year, David Leslie Richards, the millionaire gold mine owner, passed away. Oh, yes, yes, I remember. He left some money to the university, didn't he? Yes, quite a lot. Mr. Richards was a graduate of Metropolis, and his will bequeathed the university $3 million to be used specifically in building up a completely equipped medical research laboratory. Well, that $3 million should have taken care of everything. It will, Ken, if we can get it. Well, what do you mean, get it? It was left to the university, wasn't it? Only if we earned it, Mr. Ken. What? The bequest provided that the university must, through its own efforts, raise $500,000 in order to receive the $3 million legacy. And it must be raised within the year. Oh, so that's where the football team comes in. Exactly. We've gotten alumni donations of 300000 which leaves 200000 to raise by the end of next month. Our final game with Southwest should draw 50,000 people. And if we beat them, we'll be invited to the Rose Bowl for a postseason game. 80,000 people at the bowl, and we're over the top. Oh, that explains everything, Coach. Now I know what you meant when you said an undefeated football team is a matter of life and death. Yes, and now you know why the team's collapse this afternoon frightened me out of ten years' growth. Sure. I wouldn't worry too much about that, Mr. Taylor. Your boys were probably overstrung on edge. I'm certain they'll be all right. Well, they seem fine now, Professor. A few of them are frightened by what happened on the field. Uh, Dr. Stone took a sample of Bob Harris' blood for analysis. He was the youngster who collapsed during the play. Stone must be inside working on it now. Hey, what's that? Oh, Hercules. He's probably hungry or thirsty. Would you like to see him? Oh, sure, Kentwood. Uh, come on. He's just around this bend in the room. What? Great Scott, a caged gorilla. That's a trouble, Hercules. Want some water? Okay. We'll pour some into your pan. Oh, look at him laughing up. Now he'll curl up and go to sleep. He's really quite docile as long as we give him enough to eat and drink. I still hate to meet him in a dark alley. Well, I imagine that would be a little unpleasant. Hercules is strong enough to tear a man to pieces. Oh, here comes Dr. Stone. He probably has a report for you, Mr. Taylor. Uh, find anything, Doctor? No, not a solitary thing. Both white and red count are normal. Mm. Yeah, just as I suspected. Well, I must say that's good news. I wonder... What do you mean, Mr. Kent? Well, I can't quite believe the boys in that football team reacted naturally today. Oh, granted, they were on edge and maybe a little too finely drawn, but that loginess hit every one of them without exception. Well, medical science is fairly accurate, Mr. Kent. No, but if we can find no indication of disease, wouldn't it be fair to assume that fatigue was responsible for what happened? They couldn't all have been fatigued. You know, it just occurred to me, Professor Nelson, what happens to that $3 million bequest if the university fails to raise its quota of 500000 The money reverts to other beneficiaries. Oh, who are they? I don't know, Mr. Kent, but I hardly think that is any bearing on the case. At the moment, our primary interest is to determine whether the young men on the football team require medical attention. I told you how important the team is in the scheme of things. Yes, yes, I know, but I was just wondering. Wondering what? Who was Mr. Richard's lawyer? Who handled his will? Uh, Mr. John Quincy of the firm of Quincy, Caldwell & Scott. But really, Mr. Kent, I, I don't quite understand. Well, I may be barking up the wrong tree, but they say if you bark up enough trees, you're bound to find the right one. 
Oh, is it really 4.30? I'm afraid I'll have to leave. Well, thanks for everything. I hope I see you all again. Goodbye. Uh, wait a minute, Kent. I'll go along with you. All right. Uh, goodbye, Professor Thompson. Dr. Stone. Goodbye. 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 Oh, listen to those monkey chatters. Leaving the university, Clark Kent hurries to the law offices of Quincy, Caldwell, and Scott, and despite the lateness of the hour, gains admittance to the private walnut-paneled office of John Quincy, elderly senior member of the firm. Facing him across a massive desk, Kent makes known his mission. And inasmuch as you were Mr. Richard's legal advisor, I thought you might be able to help me determine who will benefit under the terms of his will in the event the university fails to raise the money required. Why do you want to know? Well, at the moment, Mr. Quincy, I'm just curious. The will of the late Mr. Richard is not an object of idle curiosity. Well, my curiosity isn't exactly idle. A lot may depend on my knowing who stands to benefit if the money doesn't go to the university. I'm afraid I shall have to require much more of an explanation. But I can't give it to you now. You can trust me. It isn't a matter of trust. The will has not yet been filed with the probate court. Only four people have knowledge of what disposition will be made of the three million dollar bequest in case the university fails to earn it. The three beneficiaries and myself. Oh, so there are three beneficiaries. I merely picked an odd number. Oh, no, you didn't. It slipped out. Three beneficiaries. Young men, I must ask you to leave at once. Now, don't get excited, Mr. Quincy. Will you leave, or you, do you wish me to summon the police? Just a moment. I have one more thing to say. Then say it quickly before I lose patience. You think I'm just a nosy reporter looking for a sensational story. Well, I'm not, Mr. Quincy. I've just been given a lesson in self-sacrifice, a lesson in devotion to the cause of humanity, a lesson that every man, woman, and child in the world should learn. What is this nonsense? Oh, it isn't nonsense. I just heard a man talk about saving the lives of youngsters, and his eyes lit up as though, well, as though that were the only worthwhile thing in his life. I just heard a tough football coach choke up when he spoke of thousands of kids who needed medical help. What are you talking about? This is what I'm talking about. Metropolis University needs the three million dollars Mr. Richards bequeathed in his will. The university needs it to fight the cruelest disease in the annals of medicine. The disease that, that strikes at helpless youngsters and, and cuts them down without giving them a chance. You know what I'm talking about. Infantile paralysis. This is all very irrelevant. Oh, I... no, it isn't. The way it looks now, the university may never get that much-needed money. What makes you say that? Because it's my feeling that one of the three beneficiaries is trying to keep the university from earning the three million dollars. Can Clark Kent be right? Is it possible that the sudden collapse of the Metropolis football team was something that had been planned? If Kent is on the right track... What can be done to protect the players for the last and most important game of the season, only a week away? There's going to be excitement both on the field and behind the scenes, so follow the story with Superman. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Behold my process. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here. Uh -huh. It's the Loop Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loop on surprises delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, Daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude! Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming Video Game Box! Woohoo! Yeehoo! To the Loot Crate Video Box, what's with kids today, huh? 
Browsers! With crits starting as low as $11.99 per month, those are packs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it? You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look, up in the sky! It's a bird, it's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. As you remember, Clark Kent became involved in what seemed to him to be a strange mystery that deserved investigation. It concerned the Metropolis University football team's sudden collapse in the fourth quarter of its game with State College. Fortunately, Metropolis won, but Kent suspects some human agency was responsible for what happened. He's followed up a few leads, and at the moment is back at the Daily Planet editorial office discussing the matter with his editor, Perry White. Listen. All I know is that you were assigned to cover a football game. You sent Lois Lane back with your notes. As a result, someone else had to write the story. I think it's about time you learned to stay with an assignment once it's given you. Now, you're a reporter, I not know, a... I know, I know. I'm a reporter, not a detective. Exactly. Now, look, Mr. White, I've never let you down, have I? Hmm. Well, what's that got to do with it? Well, simply this. There's a story behind that football game. A story much more important than the game itself. A story big enough to warrant headlines and a page one spread. Well, that's different. Why didn't you say so in the first place? Well, you didn't give me a chance. However, it isn't ready to break yet. Oh, oh I see. Another of your wild dreams, eh? As a matter of fact, Lois did mention that you were off on a wild goose chase again. She said you didn't even wait to see the end of the game. But you dashed off five minutes before the final whistle blew. Oh, well, she's right. This is what happened. The Metropolis team went to pieces in the last quarter. Bob Harris, the captain, fainted on the field. And the rest of the men were staggering around like a bunch of dazed high school freshmen. Well, it didn't seem natural, so I had a talk with Spike Taylor, the coach. Yes? And Taylor was worried. Couldn't understand what had happened to his team. Every man on the squad was groggy. State College probably gave him a fight. No, no, it wasn't that. The men were dazed more than tired. Harris described it fairly well. He said his legs went weak and his head began to swim. Did a doctor examine him? Yeah, sure. Dr. Stone of the medical school. Even made a blood test. Nothing showed up. Well, there's your answer. I'm afraid not, Mr. White. There's more to it than appears on the surface. Briefly, this is the story. The Metropolis team has one more game to play with Southwest University. Now, if they win, they'll be undefeated and get an invitation to play at the Rose Bowl. Yes, 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 I know. I read the papers, Kent. You're not telling me anything new. Well, I will in a moment. Metropolis must win because a lot depends on it. Like Taylor's coaching job? Oh, no. No, something more important. The lives of thousands of youngsters. Hmm? Huh? What are you talking about? 
Well, you see, a man named Richards, an alumnus of the university, died last year and left the medical research laboratory $3 million, provided the university could raise 500000 on its own hook. Now, the research laboratory needs that money badly to carry on its infantile paralysis work, trying to find a cause and cure. Yes, yes, yes. Go on. Get to the point. Get I to am, the point. I am. They've raised 300000 so far, and if the team wins its final game and goes to the Rose Bowl, the university's share of the gate receipts will give them the money they need to get the legacy. Well, that's a nice human interest story, but it's not page one by any manner of means. Oh, the page one story is yet to come. You see, despite the fact that Dr. Stone found nothing wrong with Bob Harris, I didn't like the look of things. So I had a talk with Professor Nelson, dean of the medical school. I learned from him that if the university failed to raise the $500,000 by next month, the three million legacy went to someone else. Who? Ah, that's what I wanted to know. So I checked with John Quincy, the lawyer who handled the will. But he refused to give me any information. But he did let slip that three people would benefit if the university didn't get the legacy. Now, do you see the possibility of a page one story? Yes. It's pretty far-fetched. You think that one of the three people is trying to keep the university from getting the three million dollars? Uh-huh. By putting the football team out of commission. Yeah, that's Frank Merrill's stuff, Kent. Doesn't happen in real life. Who are the three possible heirs? That's what I don't know. The will hasn't been filed with the court yet. But Quincy, the lawyer, knows. Somehow, I've got to get him to cooperate. Uh, frankly, I think you're wasting your time. I thought you really had something, but all you've got are... Ken, important message for you. Uh, what do you mean by breaking in here like a cyclone? I thought I told you last oh, week... Just... sorry, Mr. White, but the boy who delivered it said it was urgent. I don't care what it is. Get out. Okay. Well, let me have the message, Jimmy. Oh, I'm sorry. Here. Thanks. Get out, I said. I'm going, Scare the daylights out of that poor kid. Well, the next time I'll whip the daylights out of him. This is supposed to be a private office, not a three-ring circus. By rights, I should fire that young whippersnapper. He's entirely too fresh. Oh, Jimmy's not fresh. He's just eager. Anyway, you won't fire him, so why talk about it? Your bark is much worse than your bite. Oh, is that so? Yes, that's so. Well, why don't you read that message if it's so all fire important? <laughs> I will. Uh, my bark is worse than my bite of it. What we need around here is more just... Great, Scott. What's the matter? A moment ago, Mr. White, you said you thought I was wasting my time on this football team story. All right, look at this. Art Kent, Daily Planet. This is a little friendly advice. Keep your nose out of other people's business or you won't be using it to breathe with very long. Mm-hmm. That's not a threat. I never read one. It's not signed. Who delivered it? I think Jimmy mentioned a messenger boy. We'll ask him. Jimmy! Oh, Jim! Okay, I know. I was expecting Come in a minute, Jim. What were you expecting? This. You don't have to tell me. I know. I'm fired. Oh, don't be silly. You should be fired, you young... (laughs) Oh, what's the use? Ah, this had nothing to do with being fired, Jimmy. What you want to know is who delivered this message to me. Why... Just a boy. A messenger boy? No, just a boy like me. Nobody could be quite like you. <laughs> uh, would you recognize the boy if you saw him again? Gosh, I don't know. I didn't pay much attention to him. <laughs> of course not. Is something wrong, Mr. Kent? Did I make a mistake? No, Jimmy. No, no. We we just thought the letter had been delivered by a uniformed messenger. I think I'll take a run over to the university and see Dr. Nelson. I'd better call him first. Mm, use my phone. Okay. 
Uh, get me the medical research laboratory at Metropolis University. That's right. Thank you. She'll call me when she gets there. Well, what are you hanging around for? Who, me? No. No, my grandmother. Oh, can I stay? What do you think this is? A railroad station waiting room? Jimmy's not in the way, Mr. White. Let him stay. Now look here, Kent. Wait. You... Hello. Uh, is this Professor Nelson? Oh, Dr. Stone. Is Professor Nelson there? This is Clark Kent. I see. Uh, wait just a minute, will you please? Quiet, please, Mr. White. Uh, hello. Yes, well, well, when he, when he comes back, will you please tell him I'm on my way over to the university? Yes, something very important has come up. I'll be there in ten minutes. Thank you. Nelson stepped out for a moment, but he'll be back by the time I get there. Hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, what are you rushing over to see Nelson for? Well, perhaps he can use some influence with that lawyer, Quincy, to get us the names of the three beneficiaries. I'll be back as soon as I can. You want to come along, Jimmy? Boy, in how? Just a minute, Kent. He was hired to run copy. Okay, not to run Jim, let's go. Right with us. I'll be here. Kent, come back here. Come back here, my kid. Kent! Kent, come back here, my kid. Hey, come on, right going to be mad as a wet hen. He didn't want you to take me. Oh, don't you worry, Jimmy. He'll forget all about it before we get back. Well, what are you going to do at the university? Watch the team practice? No, we're going up to the research laboratory to see Professor Nelson. You like the monkeys and the gorilla. Monkeys and the gorilla? Uh-huh. Dozens of little white-faced rhesus monkeys and a huge 400-pound gorilla. They call him Hercules. Gosh, he doesn't walk around free, does he? Well, hardly. He's locked in a cage. Well, what's he doing in the laboratory? Well, I suppose Professor Nelson and Dr. Stone experiment on him. You know, monkeys and gorillas are a lot like human beings. Yeah, I know. I saw a couple of gorillas in the movies. They danced and played the piano and smoked cigars. They were probably apes or chimpanzees. Gorillas are a little too vicious to train. There's a big one in the circus that comes to Metropolis every year. Oh, that's right, Gargantua. Is Hercules as big as Gargantua? Oh, well, not quite. It's big enough. We'll see. Now, here we are. I guess I can park here. All right, Jim, come on. Okay. Which way, Mr. Kent? Uh, that's the medical building over there, that old brick structure. Do they keep the monkeys in cages, too? Mm-hmm. Small wire cages. <laughs> I'll bet they're cute. Yes, but noisy. Chatter all the time. Hey, watch your step here, Jimmy. The laboratory's down in the basement. I think this is the door. <laughs> it sure is. Listen to those monkeys. <laughs> Where's Hercules, the gorilla? He's in a cage around that bend in the room, Jim. Hmm, doesn't seem to be anybody here. Professor Nelson! Maybe he's out to dinner. No, Dr. Stone said he was coming right back. I told him I'd be over in ten minutes. Can I see the gorilla, Mr. Ken? Sure, of course you can. He's right around that bend. Oh, I know, but if you'd come too, I... <laughs> There's nothing to be afraid of, Jim. He's in a cage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Professor Nelson! Dr. Stone! That's funny. No soul here. I wonder whether they got my... Help! Help! Jimmy! What's the matter? Help! Jimmy! Jimmy! Well, something serious has happened around the bend in the laboratory room. Did Jimmy get too close to the cage? And has the gorilla caught him in its powerful grip? Why is he screaming for help? It looks like trouble ahead and plenty of it, so don't miss a single exciting episode. Tune in and listen with Superman.
Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look, up in the sky! It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, send steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. When the Metropolis University football team collapsed in the last quarter of its game with State College and almost lost, Clark Kent decided to investigate. To his surprise, he learned three things. One, that an old graduate named Richards had left the university medical laboratory a legacy of $3 million, provided the university raised $500,000 through its own efforts. Two, that the only way the university could raise the money was to have its football team earn it by going through the season undefeated. And three, that if the university did not get the legacy, it automatically went to three unidentified people. Since there was something queer in the collapse of the team, Kent suspected that one of the three possible heirs was doing something to the football team to keep the money from going to the university. His suspicions were confirmed when he received a note telling him to mind his own business. Together with young Jimmy Olsen, he hurried to the medical laboratory to discuss the matter with Professor Nelson, but found it empty. Listen. Listen to those monkeys chatter, Jimmy. They're the ones I was telling you about. Professor Nelson and Dr. Stone use them for experimental purposes. Well, where's Hercules, the gorilla? He's in a cage around that bend in the room there. Uh, Professor Nelson! Dr. Stone! <laughs> Looks like they're both out. Can I see the gorilla, Mr. Ken? Sure, of course you can. Just around that bend. Oh, I know, but... I... Well, there's nothing to be afraid of, Jimmy. He's locked up in a cage. Oh, okay. <laughs> Professor Nelson! Dr. Stone! That's funny. There's not a soul here. I wonder whether they Mr. couldn't... Mr. Kent, help! Jimmy, what's the matter? Help, help, Mr. Kent! What happened, Jimmy? The gorilla, he's out of his cage. What? Look! Run for the door, Jimmy. Come on! All right, you get outside. What are you going to do, Mr. Kent? Lure him back into his cage. No, you can't. He'll attack you. Do as I say. Now get outside. Hurry! Mr. Kent, please. Go ahead! Good thing this door locks so Jimmy won't decide to open it right in the middle of things. There, does it? Now, Hercules, we'll take care of you as Superman. I don't know how you got out of your cage, but you'll be back there before you know it. Oh, don't like the idea, do you? Sorry, but you can't be trusted wandering around here. Hey, put that bottle down. Oh, you're in a playful mood, eh? All right, catch this. You're tough, Hercules, but not tough enough. Come on, I'm ready for you. That's the boy. Now, now let's see what you can do with both arms pinned to your body. Don't try to bite a piece out of me. You'll break your teeth. Now it just carry you back where you belong. Dump you into your cage. 
Slam the door and throw the bolt off. Shaking those bars won't do a bit of good, Hercules, old boy. You might just as well calm down. I wonder how you managed to get out. That bolt couldn't have slipped. It's again. It's again. Oh, sounds like Professor Nelson. Clark Kent is going to have a tough time explaining how he got that 400-pound gorilla back into his cage without any casualties except that broken bottle. Mr. Kent, open up. Just a moment. Kent. Kent, are you all right? Mr. Kent. Oh, everything's okay. There's nothing to worry about. The gorilla. He's back in his cage. What? I'll tell but, you all about it. I'll, I'll tell you all about it. Jimmy, uh, did you round up this rescue party? Sure. The minute you locked the door, I ran out to the campus and yelled at the top of my lungs. <laughs> you certainly got the crew together fast. Now, thanks very much, boys, but our friend Hercules is safe and sound in his cage. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, thanks for coming out. Come on, Professor. You too, Jimmy. Ah. You gave me a couple of very uneasy moments, Kent. Uh, not to mention the uneasy moments Hercules gave me. I must have a look at him. Oh, he's all right now. Uh, look out for that shattered bottle, Professor. Hercules threw it at me. Fortunately, he's no big league pitcher. Gosh. I don't understand how you got him back in his cage, Mr. Kent. Well, there he is, curled up in a corner, looking as though butter would melt in his mouth. Something's wrong with him. Hmm? That side of his jaw is terribly swollen. His jaw? Oh, oh, is it? Well, that's funny. Did you hit him with something, Mr. Kent? Uh, who, me? Oh, no, no, I, I didn't get that close. How did you force him back into his cage? Uh, why... Just by shouting at him and, and, and waving my arms. I don't quite understand this. Wasn't there anyone in the laboratory when you and this young man entered? No. No, not a soul. Jimmy wanted to see Hercules, so he walked around to the cage. And what did you find, Jim? Oh, the door was wide open and, and Hercules was coming out. All I could do was scream and run. Oh, Professor Nelson. Yes. Yeah. Good heavens, so what happened? Nothing, Doctor. Well, they said the gorilla was loose. Yes, but Mr. Kent frightened him back into his cage. He seems all right now, save for a swollen jaw. Well, I walked over to the faculty club to tell you that Mr. Kent had called to say he'd be here in ten minutes. Oh, I see. That's why the laboratory was empty. But how did Hercules get out of the cage? I don't know. You say the door was ajar, Mr. Kent? Uh, was it, Jimmy? Oh, you mean wide open, yes. This board couldn't have slipped. Well, we can be thankful nothing serious happened. You know, Mr. Kent, the debt of gratitude for having sufficient presence of mind to lock the door and tackle the animal single-handed. This has taken a lot of courage. Amazing courage. Frankly, there wasn't time to think about it. It should teach us a lesson, Dr. Stone. Never to leave the laboratory on guard. Well, I, I'm sorry, sir, but it, it's wholly my fault. Dr. Stone... When did you see Hercules last? I mean, before you went in search of Professor Nelson. Well, now, let me think. I I gave him water a few minutes before you called. I remember it distinctly because I was interrupted by the training table cook. The training table cook? Uh, yes, Mr. Taylor, the football coach, sent him up with a sample of some canned salmon that was to be served to the team last Friday night. I presume Mr. Taylor thought it might have been responsible for mild cases of tomain. Well, did anyone else visit the laboratory? Just one of my students, McCoy. He delivered a paper that was overdue. Kent, you're not insinuating that someone released Hercules deliberately, are you? It wouldn't surprise me, Professor Nelson. After all, there is a limit. Well, maybe you won't think so once you've read this note. I received it at the Daily Planet office about a half hour ago. Read it. Uh, Kent, Daily Planet. 
This is a little friendly advice. Keep your nose out of other people's business, or you won't be using it to breathe with very long. Who wrote this, Mr. Kent? I don't know. It was delivered by boy, and it's obviously written in childish print to prevent identification. Now, possibly, you'll realize there may be more to the sudden collapse of the Metropolis football team than appeared on the surface. As a matter of fact, I'm beginning to think the boys on the squad were poisoned. Poisoned? <laughs> Why, that's preposterous. I don't know, Dr. Stone. You know, you're making a very serious charge, Mr. Kent. Yes, and I can back it up. Or at least, I'll back it up before long. You contend that someone maliciously poisoned the football players to keep them from winning? And not primarily to keep them from winning the game, but to keep the university from getting the Richards' legacy. But who would want to do that? Any one of the three possible beneficiaries. Do you know the beneficiaries, Mr. Kent? No, I don't. But I'll find out if it's the last thing I do. That's why I wanted to talk with you, Professor Nelson. I, I thought perhaps you might call Mr. Quincy, the lawyer, and ask him who stands to benefit under the terms of Mr. Richard's will in the event the university fails to get the money. He won't give me the information, Mr. Kent. Oh? I tried once before when it looked as though we were going to be unable to raise our quota of $500,000. I thought I might appeal to the beneficiaries to waive their rights. Mr. Quincy refused to cooperate. Oh. Well, all right. We'll have to make use of another method. Come on, Jimmy. Where are you going, Kim? Uh, to see Mr. Quincy. It's after office hours. He won't be there now. Well, he may be. Hey, incidentally, Professor Nelson, you'd better tell Coach Taylor what's happened and warn him to keep an eagle eye on the team. At least until next Saturday's game. Let's go, Jim. I'll call you, Professor, if I accomplish anything. the lawyer will be at his office now, Mr. Kent? It's almost six o'clock. Well, nothing like trying, Jimmy. Now, I'll park here. Now, you sit tight and wait for me. The office building's just around the corner. I'll be back in a few minutes. Okay. Can I turn on the radio? Sure. Quincy refused to give Clark Kent any information, but he might have more respect for Superman. Now, let's see. This is the building. His office is on the 14th floor facing rear. Good thing I took notice of that when I visited him Saturday. I'll just duck through this alley. I don't like to have to do things this way, but if I can help the university get that legacy, it's justified. All right, here we are. 14th floor, corner window, rear. Up! Up! Here we are. This is the office. Pitch dark inside. Up with the window. And inside. Now, I imagine he must keep his copies of wills in his safe. Hate to have to ruin a good safe by ripping the door out. But the lives of thousands of boys and girls are worth more than the finest safe ever built. Now, where is it? Over here? No, that's a filing cabinet. Oh, wait a minute. He probably has a wall safe. Must be behind this big picture here. Yes, of course, there it is. Now, I'll just yank the door out and see whether I can find Richard's will. Here goes. Don't move. What? Or I'll shoot. Who has been lurking in the darkness of the lawyer's office? Whose voice is it that issued the order, don't move or I'll shoot? Will Kent, even as Superman, be able to get the Richard's will now that he's been caught in the act? Don't forget to be with us for the next episode when things begin to happen fast and furiously. Tune in and listen 
with Superman. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Up in the sky! It's a bird, it's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. When Metropolis University received a bequest of $3 million to develop its medical research laboratory, there was a string attached to the generous gift. The university, in order to get the money, had to raise $500,000 of its own. There is only one possible way of raising it, by having the football team win every game and receive an invitation to play at the Rose Bowl. But Clark Kent has discovered that someone is trying to make the team go to pieces and lose its last game with Southwest University next Saturday. He feels certain it must be one of the three people who will inherit the three million if the university fails to get it. In order to find out who these three people are, he has entered the office of John Quincy, the lawyer who wrote the will, as Superman, and is about to open a wall safe to look for the document when a voice barks a command out of the darkness. Don't move, or I'll shoot. Stay where you are while I turn on the light. There, that's better. Who are you and what are you doing in my office? Just paying you a little social call, Mr. Quincy. If I were you, I'd put that revolver away. Your hand is shaking. Evidently, you're not accustomed to pointing a gun. Never mind about me. I presume you realize you've been caught in the act of burglary. What is that outlandish costume you're wearing? Oh, just a little get-up of my own. But we're wasting time. Put that gun up. What do you take me for, a fool? How did you get in here? Through the window. Don't be flippant. Answer my question. I did, through the window. You won't be so cocky once the police start working on you. We'll worry about that later. Are you going to put that gun up? Of course not, and don't move when I... Or you'll what, Mr. Quincy? Give me that revolver. Oh, no, no, we'll just break it, drop the bullets into this waste paper basket, and toss it into a corner. There we are. Now, open that safe. Are you mad? I said open that safe. All right, I... I'll open it. There's nothing of value in there. Open it. Quickly. Yes, yes, I... There, you see. Only legal papers. No money. I'm not after money. Give me Mr. Richard's will. What? You heard me. Mr. Richard's will. No, no, I... I, I can't. Now, look, Mr. Quincy. I'm not fooling. You recall how I got rid of your gun. I can get rid of you just as simply. No, no, please don't. I... I'll give it to you. Very well. Here. Here. Thank you. I haven't time to read through it. 
On what page does it name the three beneficiaries in the event Metropolis University fails to claim its legacy? Well? Page four. Page four. Three, four, yes, there it is. Yeah. For any reason whatsoever, the trustees of the aforesaid Metropolis University should fail to meet their quota in raising the aforementioned $500,000. It was be dividing the funding as Now, we're coming to it. Equal, equal parts of the aforesaid bequest of $3 million shall be bequeathed to the following. Andrew C. Clark, my half-brother, George Kane, my nephew, and the Cedarcrest Sanatorium at Mount Carteret. Hmm. So, those are the three beneficiaries, eh? Yes, yes, but why are you interested in them? What business is it of yours? You'll learn in time. Where is Andrew C. Clark, Mr. Quincy? Well, he, he lives on a cattle ranch in Montana. I see. And George Kane? I, I, I don't know. The last we knew, he was working in uh, an oil tanker. All right, Mr. Quincy. Here's the will. I have all the information I want. Wait, wait, there's, there's something else. Something important. Oh, what is it? I, I can't think for the moment. You, you confuse well, me. You'd better think fast. I'm in a hurry. Well, just a minute, please, please. It's, it's very important. All right, get him up, Mister. You're covered. Oh, so that's why you were stalling, Quincy. You somehow signaled for the police. That's right. Now you're trapped. <laughs> I don't think so. Not quite. Hey, get away from that window. Sorry, officer. I'm warning you. So long. Don't waste your bullets. Up. Up and away! All right, hold on, Jimmy. We've got to get going fast. Oh, gosh, what happened, Mr. Kim? I'll tell you later. I guess we're all right now. Was someone chasing you, Mr. Kent? Well, not exactly, but uh, that neighborhood wasn't very healthy. Did you see the lawyer? Uh, yes, yes. He gave me the information I wanted. Mr. Kent, do you really think someone's trying to poison the whole Metropolis football team and keep it from winning its game with Southwest University on Saturday? I wouldn't be a bit surprised, Jimmy. Well, maybe not poison the players, but knock them out sufficiently to prevent top-notch performance. But didn't the doctor at the university say they weren't poisoned? Yes. Yes, and that's what puzzles me. Well, where are we going now? Uh, to see Coach Taylor. I want to be sure he keeps an eagle eye on his players. Things are liable to happen any day now. Come into my office, Kent. Where you are comfortable. Well, where's young Jimmy? Oh, he wanted to watch the men at the training table. I told him he could. You, uh, you don't mind, do you? Oh, not at all. Sit down. Thank you. Professor Nelson told me you're hot on the trail. Not as hot as I'd like to be. You really think someone's behind all this? I don't have to think. I know. The boys have been perfect, every one of them. We had a beautiful workout this afternoon. Yes, I know, I know, but today's only Monday. We've got five days to go before the game with Southwest. Don't mention it. You'll put a hex on us. I'm afraid the hex is on. We'll have to lift it before Saturday. Now, look, here's the situation. Under the terms of Richard's will... If the university do doesn't get the three million, other beneficiaries share it. Well, I know that, but who are the beneficiaries? Richard's half-brother, a man named Clark, 
a nephew of his named George Kane, and the Cedar Crest Sanatorium at Mount Carteret. And you think one of them is trying to put the skids under the football team? Exactly. I uh, haven't checked Clark and Kane yet, but I will first thing in the morning. Well, I hope you're wrong, Kent. Personally, I'd like to forget the entire matter. All I ask for is a victory against Southwest, an invitation to the Rose Bowl, and we're set. That'll mean going over the top in our drive to raise that half million. And there'll be nothing else to worry about. Well, it sounds swell, Spike, but it isn't that easy. You probably heard what happened at the research laboratory earlier this evening. You mean about the gorilla getting loose? Yes. I didn't mention it to anyone, but that looked as though it were deliberate. What? You mean someone let Hercules out of his cage? Uh-huh. Wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Why would anyone free a 400-pound gorilla? For one of two reasons. Either to get rid of me and stop my investigation, or to create a panic that would take everyone's attention off the football team. I don't know, Kent. That's carrying things a little too far. After all, if you hadn't been lucky, that hairy beast might have torn you and a dozen others to pieces. No question about it. Why? Why, that's murder. There are some people who don't stop at murder, Coach. I know, but after all, this isn't a racket someone's running. We're not mixed up with gangsters. Come in, come in. He's poisoning the players. What? Stop him. What are you talking about, Jimmy? Don't let them drink the milk. It's poison. What, what milk? The milk they're putting on the training table. It's poison. Good grief. You stay here. I'll be back. Jimmy, what's this all about? Wait till I catch my breath. Don't drink any of that milk tonight. Take it back to the kitchen, Joe, and stop it. You heard what I said. Stop it, Joe. If this is a joke, Jimmy, it's a bad one. Oh, no. It's no joke. All right, now. What made you say the milk was poisoned? I saw the cook putting poison in the pitchers. What? Where is he? Wait a minute, Kent. Now, start from the beginning, Jimmy. Well, I went into the kitchen to sort of look around, and I noticed the cook standing over the milk pitchers. Yeah? Well, I watched him carefully. He took a bottle full of some sort of medicine and poured a teaspoonful of the stuff into each pitcher. Are you sure, Jimmy? Oh, I'm positive. Ah. I'm going to get that cook. Now, 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 take it easy, Kent. Why? I don't want the boys to know anything about this. We've got to keep it quiet. Oh, yes. They're just about finished with dinner now. They'll be leaving in a few minutes. All right, all right. Who is this cook, Spike? His name is Dorf. He seemed like a pretty nice guy. Dorf, eh? How long has he been here? Since the beginning of the football season. Yeah? He used to cook on a boat. What did you say? I said the last job he had was cooking on a boat. What kind of a boat? I don't know. A a freighter, I guess. Freighter? Well, what's the difference? Well, there's plenty of difference. George Kane, according to last reports, was working on an oil tanker. Who's George King? I told you. One of the beneficiaries. One of the people who stand to make a million dollars if something happens to the Metropolis team. Kent, do you think Dorf might be George King? I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Oh, the boys are finished. They're going upstairs. We can go into the kitchen now. Come on. Can I come, Mr. Kent? Yeah, sure, Jimmy. All right. Now, take it easy. Don't want to frighten him. He's liable to pick up a knife. Yeah. Maybe you'd better let me go first. No, no, I'll handle him. Now, you keep well back, Jimmy. Yes, Mr. Taylor. I'll open the swinging doors. All set? Yes. Let's go. Look here, Dorf. We want to... Well, I'll be. Spike, it looks as though we got here too late. Dumbfounded, Clark Kent and Coach Spike Taylor stare at the empty kitchen. Dorf, the cook, is gone. Only one chilling thought races through their mind. Has he already done enough damage to ruin the team for Saturday's game? Or did Jimmy catch him in the nick of time? 
What will be the outcome of this newest development? Don't miss the next exciting episode. Tune in and listen with Superman. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. The bird, it's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash Silver Age Heroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior!